Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I am, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. I am your disabled boyfriend experience, and I'm excited to do the show with you. So, let's get started. I think it's important to recognize that so many of the things, the issues, and the feelings we have around intimacy and relationships can stem from experiences we've had in our childhoods. I truly believe that. It's all about how we were raised, and what we saw, and what we learned, and what we did when we were raised. If you listen to episodes 14 and episode 65 of Disability After Dark, you can get a pretty good glimpse of some of the experiences that brought me to where I am on my journey as a queer cripple. Episode 14, you get to hear me talk about my awkward teen years in Young, Queer, and Crippled. And in the recent episode 65, you get to hear me talk to my mom about being queer and disabled and what raising a disabled child was like for her. And you really get to learn to see a little bit about who I am and what what it's been to be on this journey with me to my queer crippledom, if you will. Well, I'd like to continue us on that journey, but if you haven't heard those those two episodes, take a pause and have a listen now. This episode's going to be another little journey into my childhood and a journey back a little bit. And, but before we get into ju- exactly that, there are three things for this episode you should know. One of the very first things you should know is that I have a dad and a father. This is a very important distinction. My dad's name is George, and he's been in my life for as long as I can remember, probably since the time I was about one year old. In fact, without his help, I wouldn't have a lot of the equipment to make this podcast go. He's a musician, and he helped me get a mic and the amp to make this show a reality. So let's give George a pause to think about how awesome it is that he helped make this show a reality. He is pretty amazing. The second thing you should know is that I have a father. His name is Harley. He hasn't been around a lot in my life. He popped in and out throughout my origin story. He was never really there. That was his modus operandi to pop in and out. I don't wish to I don't wish him any any bad things, but he is someone who has profoundly shaped my experiences in relationships in a number of ways. His actions have left me have left scars on my intimate identity, and I want to talk about some of those experiences in the episode today if I could. The last thing you should know is that I'm a self-proclaimed Klingosaurus cripple. 
I am the guy who, not two minutes after we've fooled around, will text you asking when we can fool around again. I am the guy who will text you just because I wanted to. I am the guy who will give you a nickname that only we'll understand with each other, etc., etc., ad nauseum. I am, so basically what I'm saying is I'm very much invested in my relationships with people. I'm very, very connected to relationships. Relationships that have permanence and that are long-standing are very critically important to me. Now, I can be pretty intense to the point where both friends, lovers, and everyone in between have expressed feelings of being somewhat smothered, I guess you could say. Lovers have said, I am a lot. Friends have ghosted me and stopped talking to me because of this. I know it's true, it's just a reality, and it's partially because I'm so into our relationship and into our friendships. And I want to explain why. I want to explain why when I'm with a lover or somebody that I'm really into and they simply go to leave me after sex or hanging out, I have strong urges to keep them there with me or to not ever let them go or to, or to not ever let the moment end. I've said to lovers, I really wish you could stay longer, wishing they won't ever go wishing they would never leave, and now I want to share why I have such strong emotions. Now, I want you to picture young Andrew at between 5, 6, 7 years old, and I want you to picture me in my big wheelchair. It was a giant wheelchair for this little boy with a huge smile on my face. I was a very happy disabled child. But one of the times that I wasn't particularly happy as a disabled child is when I was dealing with my father. Harley. And I want to share an experience with you that kind of anchors the whole discussion on why I think I'm a Klingosaurus cripple. So, I want you to picture me at five, six, seven years old. I was pretty adorable. I want you to imagine that it's a Saturday morning and my father called me. He's supposed to be coming to see me today and I'm so excited. I take the phone from my sister and my mom when he called and I say, Hi, Dad. Are you, are you coming to do the thing today? Are we going to hang out? And I called him Dad at the time because he was, when I was younger, I considered him my dad. And he said, he answers back, Hey, pal, with a long, long pause in between. Now, I knew instinctively what that pause meant. His next sentence rung in my ears long after the call had finished. He said, I don't think I can make it, pal. My heart sank and all my excitement about seeing my father disappeared. Now, this kind of stuff would happen countless times throughout my adolescence. So many times, in fact, that I can't actually remember remember one distinct moment. The phone scenario that I just gave you was kind of a mishmash of all the times that he would have done it to me, but it happened so frequently that that's what I remember. One of the things my father would also do 
is he would make plans with us, with me, and then he would realize halfway through the week that the the thing he wanted to do was not wheelchair accessible. Um, and he would cancel his commitment to me. Or he would come and he would say, oh, I can't take you, but let me take your sister. And of course, my sister should have gone because we were just kids and we wanted to both see our father. So she went with him and I would have to watch her go. And that would break my heart. That would make me really, really upset. But it, it taught me at a really early age, really early age, what ableism was. These experiences with my father ingrained in me that I was too much, that I was too much work, and that my disability was way too hard for anybody to deal with. And these are, these are the things that I remember as a young boy, and I remember feeling this so, so very much. And I remember understanding that I was too much and understanding that it was too much work to, to have me around with him. And so I remember trying to put on a brave face, a face that conveyed the feeling of, oh, no, this doesn't affect me at all. This doesn't bother me one bit. This is totally fine. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be bothered by this. This is OK. I can move past this. And I worked really hard on that face, really, really hard on the face that said, no, no, the fact that you're not seeing me and the fact that you don't want me around as your disabled son uh, doesn't bother me in the, in, in the least when really it bothered me so very much. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, I'm Pam Murphy, and I'm listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast, shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark is brought to you in part by La Petite More. La Petite More is a Hamilton, Ontario, Canada-based sex toy company operated by Haroon Sperling. A 1NB operation, they are committed to body safety, body positivity, and a gender-neutral approach to their toys. Head to petitemore.ca to check them out and be sure to use coupon code AFTERDARK for free shipping at checkout. Petitemore.ca, adult, queer, safe. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash Andrew and pledging if you can. 
Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening to the ads and thank you for creating those ads. If you'd like to create an ad for the show, send me an email at andrewandandrewgerza.com and we'd love to have your voice on the show. I also want to do some ads where we're almost at 100 episodes. We're like 33 episodes away from 100. Holy fuck. Uh, And if you wanted to, I'd love to hear what the show has meant for you as a listener. So if you want to send me a voice memo as to what it means for you, like a 20-second spot, I'd love to start putting those in the episodes as well. So you can email me at andrew and andrewgerza.com. Now, back to the show. First things first, I guess I should explain what Klingosaurus Cripple is and where that came from. First of all, I love alliteration so much. Alliteration gives me, like, the biggest emotional word boner that I've ever had in my whole life. I love playing with words, and I love playing with language, especially around disability. So, Klingosaurus Cripple turns my clinginess into this thing that isn't inherently about me, but it's about ableism and all these things. And so, Klingosaurus Cripple allows me to look at what I'm doing and not and and remind myself that it doesn't mean that I'm bad. It's just a thing that is related to my disability and related to how I felt when I was younger. And so that's why I chose the name Klingosaurus Cripple. Okay, so now I want you to flash forward to Andrew at, say, 19, 20, 21, 22, when I was in college, and trying to navigate these relationships and these sexual relationships with other men and trying to be cool and sexy and all these things. So flash forward to that when I was growing up and trying to build these relationships with men, and if they had to reschedule or... They canceled abruptly, sometimes due to sexual ableism. That would bring up all the anxiety and dread that I felt as a disabled child. It would come rushing back to me. And I would feel like what I'm picturing as I'm saying that is me sitting in my house, having set up a hookup with somebody, sitting and waiting by the phone and waiting for them to text me or to call or something or to ring through and say they were there and they never did. And that happened to me so many times, and each and every time that happened, I pictured my experience with my father and being told on the phone that either somebody's not coming or having them not show up at all. I remember when I was 21, 22, or even now sometimes, they'll send you a text saying they're not coming, and I just immediately revert back to being five, six, seven feeling that hollow pain and feeling that really um, that really deep pain uh, that I felt when I was younger and it just comes back and so even now when I'm rejected like that or or they don't show up or they don't uh, they don't come at all I steal myself with the I don't care face with the like it doesn't bother me at all face that face is still something that I have with me to try to make myself feel better and try to move on and move past it. But really, preparing that face and and trying to be strong about it, you just, you're dying inside. You're so angry and it still really hurts and it always reminds me of the thing 
my father did to me when I was younger and by not by not being there. It always reminds me of that. Um, those feelings of pain and unacceptance due to disability played a role in how I saw myself as a young kid and how I see myself now and how I assumed others saw me too. This kind of ableism and rejection does have a physical feeling. If I could describe it to you, it's a deep, hollow pain that I think any disabled person or anybody who experiences difference when you're sexually rejected that way or intimately rejected that way, it, you feel it so deeply in your soul that it really, really hurts. And so I will do whatever I can to avoid that kind of physical manifestation of ableism, whatever I can. These kind of feelings and the the desire to avoid that hollow, hollow ableism have made me and prompted me to say things to lovers like, I'd like to come twice with you. Now, look, I don't even care if we come once with each other. I love coming with a partner. I think it's really cool, but it doesn't really bother me that much if we don't. But I want you to know, if future lovers, I come buckets and I come amazing amounts. So if we ever are lovers and you want me to come, I come really lots. And I'm saying this because so many people have said to me, sidebar, um, can you ejaculate at all because you're disabled? They actually said these words to me or have said similar things like, hey, can you come? Are you able to? Um, so just so you know, when I do come, I come buckets. Future lovers of Andrew, take note. But what I'm when I ask somebody to when I say to somebody I want to come twice with you, what I'm really truly saying to you, underneath all of that, I'm saying I want to spend more time with you. I'd like you to stay. Please don't go. If you come, if I come twice, it's gonna take a longer time, and then we get to be together more. So there is an underlying fear that if I if if I come way too fast, you'll just leave, which happened to me in my youth as well. I'd come fast out of excitement and out of not being touched properly. And so when they finally touched me, I'd blow and then they would disappear, which always made me feel like, oh, now you're going, why are you going? And then it would revert back to that feeling and I would try so hard to avoid it. The ableism of my father that he taught me when I was young also had an impact on me saying things to lovers like, I really want to see you again when we're in the middle of throes of passion. I would say stuff like that. And the trouble with that is that when you're trying to be with somebody and you're trying to just be with them, having them say stuff like that can be super jarring. And I could see it on the faces of my lovers when I would say, like, I really hope we can see each other again. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, shut up. I'm going to kiss you to shut you up. But again, it was really me saying, please, let's have some permanence here. Can we please do something together that allows for this to be ongoing and this to feel like there's something something real here and you won't just leave me like the like the most important man in my life did um and so i mean it's it's heavy and the lover should never know that but that's what's going through my head is the memories of being a young boy having my father leave and trying to find a way to make sure that the the men that i'm interacting with will will stay but this happened with friendships too. This kind of this fear of being left happened with just basic friendships. Like I, my best friend in college and I, we spent a week where we didn't talk to each other because 
I literally would not leave her alone for a week. I called her way too much, and I called her way... I called her like five, six times a day just to say hi, because I was like, this is a friend. I have to keep this friend, because if I don't keep this friend, they're going to leave. They're going to find somebody better. They're going to find somebody more able, and I have to keep them around. So we had a week in my in my college years where... I would simply be overbearing and they had to tell me like, look, I'm your friend and if I'm not around every second, it's okay. But all of those feelings and why I wanted them around all the time was partially because of ableism, but partially because of the ableism my father brought to me when I was a young boy. And what this experience of being a clingosaur has also done for me, especially in my romantic relationships, is that I have to train myself to not text somebody and train myself to not phone them or, or email them or Facebook them or tweet them because I don't want to seem like I'm too much. I don't want to seem like I'm clingy even though in my in my brain I want to be like, let's talk, let's have a discussion, let's be friends. And I have to teach myself not to do that and not to like say to myself, okay, like maybe I won't text you today because it'll be all right and maybe maybe I won't do this because that way I don't want to bother you and it all stems back to ableism and it all stems back to how I felt as a young person not really being included in the mainstream and, and it really started when the man that I cared about the most my father just decided that I wasn't somebody he wanted to get to know and I also remember I remember coming out to him when I was about 15 right after I told my mom and he Said, he said, all right, well, I guess that's okay, and he hung up, and we never ever spoke about it again. Um, and so, you know, back to the texting thing, too, he would, my dad, my father would send me a text saying, let's get together, I'd like to see you again. Recently, actually, this past a uh, few months ago, on my birthday, he texted me, my father, and said, I want to get together with you let's get together, and so I said, okay, you know, first I was like, no, I'm not really interested, thank you so much for reaching out, but I don't want to talk to you, thank you, and then I thought about it and said, okay, well, maybe we'll go for, maybe we'll go for a coffee and just talk, like father and son, and then he wouldn't set up a date and would text me back and forth, and then he just stopped texting me, so it brings back all of those feelings, and so when a guy that I like doesn't text me back right away, those feelings come, like, tenfold to, to me or when a guy that I like says to me you know what the the party that we're going to is not accessible sorry Andrew see you later it brings back all those feelings of being abandoned by men that I cared about and so that's why the, my father's inactions as a father and his ableism around my disability really made it hard for me to trust and 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 feel comfortable with other men who weren't there every second. So I've been known to badger the people that I like and, and care about because I don't want them to leave. You know, in putting out call-outs for this, this episode, too, I put a call-out on my social media and I asked people their experiences with being, a, a, with, with being clingy in relationships in relation to disability and what that meant for them. And I actually got a response from my friend Danny Codmar who lives in California and he's a CP wheelchair user and he uh, wanted to share his, some of his thoughts on being clingy and so 
he sent me an awesome voice memo, which I'm going to play for you right now. I'm really glad we're talking about this topic because I've been called needy and clingy enough that if I had a dollar for every time someone called me that, I'd be rich. Anyway, I think if we're going to say that, as they say, closets are for clothes, then we could say also that clingy is for food wrap, for dresses, and for bathing suits. I think one of the issues, too, is that this whole concept of us being needy and clingy is based on misunderstandings around gender and around disability. I think the gender issue is that men are supposed to be stolid and self-sufficient and women and sissy men are supposed to be needy and clingy. So the sexist frame of mind has it that men are strong, women are weak, and any man that is in touch with his emotions and is open to his emotions is weak and clingy and needy like a sissy. And I think that's where sexism and homophobia um, always tend to work together. So that's the gender part. The part about disability is there's also rugged individualism and machismo around disability that you're supposed to overcome your disability and work on your disability all by yourself and that you're supposed to dominate it and control it and never be controlled by it. And we celebrate people who are independent, but what we don't realize is that true independence is not rugged, go-it-alone machismo. True independence is being interdependent, putting systems in place, relying on other people and relying on those systems, and making good decisions, and knowing when you need help and being able to ask for it and being able to access it rather than thinking that you need to do everything yourself and that you need to be an island and that you need to be entirely ruggedly self-sufficient. So I think that's something that really needs to be deconstructed. The whole idea, again, that real independence isn't doing everything yourself because that sets us up for failure and disappointment real independence is being part of a network, being part of a system. And that's not just in terms of getting our practical stuff done. It's about communication and about having a network of people around us with whom we can share our feelings and people who can share their feelings with us without feeling like it has to be a transaction kind of thing. I haven't just been called clingy. I've been called an octopus because I can be all arms and all hands if I get a signal from somebody that they like being touched because if I'm in touch drought or intimacy drought, then once I get the right signal, it can be like a dam bursting which sort of can scare people and also can scare me. But it's not just the octopus thing. It's being called a vampire or an emotional vampire. 
you know, that somehow, because I have such deep emotional need as a disabled person, um, that I'm going to suck all the vitality out of someone else. I think part of the problem with that is that it trades on the idea that our lives are so sad and so tragic as people with disabilities, and we're so starved of affection and happiness that we just have to suck up all the vitality that we can get, even if it's toxic for other people. And the problem with that is, of course, our lives aren't tragic. Our circumstances can be tragic, but existentially, it's not particularly tragic to have a disability, but people treat us as if we're fragile and if our, as if our lives are tragic. And that just means that we are relying on the happiness that we suck out of other people to salvage our sad, wretched, tragic lives. And in a way, the whole tragic narrative is actually the flip side of the heroic narrative that says, you know, I don't need anybody. I can be emotionally and physically self-sufficient. I can be totally independent. Because that just, that's just the triumph narrative of disability as opposed to the whole sad, tragic narrative of what it's like to be a crippled person. So again, there are these very deep concepts that run very deep in ableism and in society's perception of us and how we see ourselves. You know, if you want me to be an octopus and I have consent, I'm going to be an octopus, but I'm not going to be an octopus without consent. And I'm hopefully not going to be an emotional vampire if my feelings are regulated and if I feel supported. But again, it's a difficult matter because I can't be responsible for what other people think about me and about my disability before they've even met me. I like that he brings up discussions of gender, discussions of homophobia, discussions of his feelings of being an octopus, discussions of his feelings of being like super clingy and what that means for him and how it's all related back to ableism and kind of how that feels for him. And it's an important, he brought up points that I hadn't even considered. So I'm really appreciative that he wanted to share his thoughts on being, uh, being clingy himself and what that means for him. And I think it's an important glimpse into how we view disabled people around in independence and how we view disabled people around feeling like they're too much and all the ways that ableism affects our relationships. Truthfully though, for me also, it was nice to hear some of those feelings from somebody else and to know that it wasn't just me feeling that way and it wasn't just me feeling that I'm that I am clingy as a disabled person. I'm glad to know that someone not glad but i'm it's comforting to know that i'm not the only one that has been through those feelings too okay so that's about it for this episode and i hope it gave you a glimpse into my childhood and why i believe i'm a clingosaurus cripple and showed you that ableism can 
impact relationships and how we see ourselves and how we see the people around us and how we want everything to be different because of ableism. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope it gave you something to think about around disability and relationships. Also, I want to let you know that this will be the last episode of the year, the last episode of 2017. So we will be back in your podcast feed, by we I mean me, in your podcast feed, in early 2018, we're going to look at coming back, I'm looking at the calendar right now, we're going to look at coming back, probably the first episode will drop on Friday, January 12th, I'm going to take the the holiday season to build new episodes, write new programming, get new guests, have new things to talk about. If in the meantime you wanted to send me your guest suggestion or your or your pro, uh, episode suggestions, please send me an email at andrew at andrewgerza.com with your suggestions. Send me a voice memo of things you want to talk about. I'd love to hear from you so that we together can build new episodes around sexuality and disability that involve more of the community for 2018. So we'll see you Friday, January 12th, 2018. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs, book me to bring sex and disability to you, or you simply want to leave a review of the podcast, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this program in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Also, leave us a like on our brand new Facebook page at facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Sujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.